Hey guys, on this week's episode of So What Else, I had the honor of interviewing Jen Jet Barrett. Um, it was really cool for me to get to sit down and chat with her. Um, as I say in this episode, I've been following her for a really long time, so I was so excited to be able to get her on the podcast. She shares today um, about her story of walking through a really challenging marriage and divorce, and she just has so much wisdom about that that I think that no matter who you are, there's so much to get out of this. Jen is a speaker a leader. She runs something called the Well Summit, which exists to create safe spaces and experiences for women who sit in the tension of feeling too much and not enough. And I just love that. I think that's such an awesome mission statement. I know that you're going to love Jen. I love talking to her, so stay tuned. Hey, Jen, welcome to So What Else? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to be getting to talk to you. First of all, you have so many double consonants in your name. I love it. I do. It's funny. My, um, I have a lot of double consonants and I, um, my mom did not give me a middle name when I was born. I, really? I was given like the most popular name of yes. that decade. Totally. And then she didn't give me a middle name. And I thought, you could have at least given me something creative to go by. So in the fifth, in the fourth grade, there were five Jennifers in my class. Oh my gosh. And we all had to pick a version of Jennifer to be called. And so I think at a young age, I had a knack for branding. So I was like, I'm going to be Jen with two N's since my last name is Jet with two T's. Love that. That's how Jen Jet happened. And then I happened to marry a Barrett. So but literally like, that's <laughs> like, it was like, God, he was just like, listen, yeah. you're Jen yeah. with two N's, Jet with two T's, yep. Barrett's going to have two R's and two T's. And then my husband's name is Rhett with two T's. Oh, that is beyond. Yeah. You so, need a show. You guys people, need a show. People say, why didn't you take her last name? And you could be Rhett Jet. And he always says, Rhett he's not, Jet. he's like, I'm not fast enough to, <laughs> to carry that name. Ah, uh, so. yeah, seriously. That would be pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. So you are calling me from Texas, right? Actually, I'm in Northwest Arkansas now. Oh, right. No, I knew yeah. that. I knew yeah. that. So, but okay. I did. I lived in Texas most of my life, and okay, then yes. um, moved back to Arkansas. I was born in Arkansas, and so moved back to Arkansas. How do you like it there? I love it. It is. Yeah. I I tell people it's a hidden gem. We don't like for people to know how awesome it is here. It's yeah, been yeah. ranked, like the area has been ranked top five places to live in the last really? few years. Yes, but we don't want anyone to move here. So, you know. Yeah, yeah no, I get edit, that. Edit I get that, that out. Don't yeah, 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 yeah. We'll cut that out. We'll cut that yeah. out. So you were in Jersey last week. I was. Which is hysterical. We literally should have met up. You were staying in South Orange. Yes, we just figured that out right before this podcast so started. Funny. What? So what did you think of Jersey. I love it. It was so quaint. The neighborhood we were in, we were staying with a friend and yes. the neighborhood we were in was so quaint. We walked to dinner. Of course, it started snowing on the way. Right. Was, we loved it. It was so fun. I was like, this is, I didn't know. I mean, you just don't know, you know, when mm. you don't travel to neighborhoods in exactly. other cities. You know, so you're, you're so used to traveling to cities and staying yes. in the city. This is really fun. That is the thing we talk about all the time with Jersey. Like Jersey has such a bad rap. And like, are there like ugly parts of Jersey? Absolutely. But there's so many little cute towns too. Yeah, you know, really like South cute. Orange has that very cute little downtown. You hop on yep. the train, you go into New York City. It's lovely. And you got to see Wicked. I did. It was Amazing. so fun. I love live theater. It's just oh, a happy place. Me too. Oh, it's so nice. Like, I think my, I, I want to say the first like live show I ever got to see was my mom took me and my sister to see Cats when we were like- Oh my gosh. Well, like, honestly, of all the Broadway shows, like it's kind of odd, but it was just such a cool, like, it's an odd, like storyline, you know what I mean? And like, whatever, like, you know, the movie came out and it got yeah, so many yeah. horrible, horrible yeah. reviews. Like it was terrible. I didn't see it, but what a cool experience. Like I remember it to this day. And I think I was in like third grade and my parents yeah. took us. It's so fun. There's nothing like it. It's really fun. So fun. I love it. So I am just like, so thrilled that I'm getting to talk to you. Um, I have been following you for a ton of years. Like, honestly, I think the first time I heard you 
talk was like in 2015. Like I've heard you on the happy hour. I've heard you on don't mom alone. I've heard you on other podcasts. And so I've like followed you on social media. And so this is like trippy that I'm getting to talk to you. It's awesome. (laughs) It's so fun. I first heard you back in 2015. So would you tell us, like, clearly you've been through huge life changes since then, since that first time that I heard you. And since I first started following along with your story, walk us through that. Like, tell me about your life since then and before then, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 2015, that was the end of like, that was towards the end of a, of an era of Mm. my life. And I think that was probably the happy hour in 2015. Yes. Yes. Um, But I had gotten married right out of college. Mm -hmm. I um, went to an awesome college in North Texas and was involved in a great church and met my husband through church and through ministry. And we got married right after college. And that was in 2001. And so way back in the day (laughs) and Honestly, you know, growing up in the church at that time, you know, for me, I was raised and especially like in my college years, uh, raised to just kind of like, look, here's a checklist of all the things you need to look for in a spouse and check it off and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, it was kind of of the era of courtship and I kiss dating goodbye. Oh yeah. Um, And so that really influenced how we began our relationship. And then obviously purity culture had a huge impact on my view of sexuality, my, my personal view of my own sexuality. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately it, I went into marriage. I would say we both probably went into marriage with unrealistic expectations or understanding or, Um, an unhealthy relationship with sexuality. And so Mm -hmm. early on for, for me, sex was very physically painful Mm -hmm. and I didn't know why. And for a year and a half, we really wrestled through figuring out, I probably more so personally just isolated trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I went to multiple doctors and nobody could figure it out. And So that started a cycle of like depression and anxiety and um, fear, a lot of insecurity and fear. And I just didn't, I wasn't inside of a community that we really talked about it. You know, it was, Mm -hmm. it was this time when it was very taboo to talk about. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so eventually at a year and a half, I finally found a doctor that, that found something wrong. And he's like, it's, you know, a simple surgery. And at that point, I was grateful for that. I remember sitting in the doctor's office, just crying. Mm -hmm. Finally, somebody, I wasn't crazy. I mean, I had doctors and psychiatrists. I'd been on and off medication, on and off birth control. And I finally didn't feel crazy anymore. And somebody had an answer. But unfortunately, at that point, a year and a half into our marriage, emotionally and spiritually Mm. and physically, we were just really, um, not in a good place because we had walked through so much of that really hard and not really doing it well, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and so I had the surgery and kind of worked through some physical therapy on that, which had its own share of like shame and vulnerability. I'm sure. And, um, unfortunately in the first three years of our marriage, um, there was some infidelity, And so, um, fast forward. So after about three years, um, my husband at the time had, um, asked for a divorce twice Mm. and I just really believed and both of us being believers. Yeah. Um, I, we, I believed God could redeem and restore our marriage. I really did believe that. Mm -hmm. And, um, So we ended up staying together for another 12 years. Wow. And I would love to say that those 12 years were like awesome. Right. Um, But they were really hard. They were, um, it was really hard to heal and recover. And um, there was just, it felt like more and more pain. And we kept trying different things. I remember Mm -hmm. we tried 
you know, different therapies, you know, counseling, which I'm a huge proponent of. We tried marriage ministries. We tried all sorts of things. Um, and I, I would love to have an answer for, Mm -hmm. you know, why, but in the end, after 15 years, he asked for a divorce for a third time. And just after a ton of prayer, I felt released in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that I remember the Lord gave me the passage from Exodus 14, 14. I will fight for you. You need only be still. Mm. And I just felt like he was saying, you can lay down your weapons. Like you can, not that I was fighting against flesh and blood, but I was just, I had just been fighting for so long spiritually and, um, for the, for the salvation quote air quotes of my marriage, you know, to yeah. save it. And, um, so yeah, after 15 years, definitely felt, I felt released from that. And there were biblical grounds, um, Mm -hmm. for that, but yeah, it was, it was really, um, that's why I said it was kind of when you heard me in 2015, um, he asked for the divorce in, in 2016. So it was okay. Towards the end of, but I mean, you, what's interesting is you heard me on a podcast where I still was believing hopefully, of course, you know, with hope for the restoration of our marriage. So when he asked for the divorce, the, like at the beginning, like three Mm -hmm. years in, Mm -hmm. did you guys like separate? Did you tell anyone or was it like very secretive? Like, how did you kind of like get through that? Yeah. Um, at a year and a half in, Um, there was, that was the first time and we separated for five months and, um, we told a handful of people, I mean, I'm going to be honest. There was just so much shame wrapped around it. I, I was afraid to tell my family. Mm -hmm. Um, and here there's a tension with this, right? Like if you tell your family, your family is always going to defend you and be for you. And so there's this hesitation that I had to bring my family into it when ultimately I hoped for restoration. And I thought I can fight for my marriage, but it would be really hard to bring my family back into that. Yes. And say, Hey, be for us. Totally. And so I, I caution it's that, it's that tension of letting people into it, but man, it is a risk when we do, because then you add to that community of healing, more people that have to heal through that. And you're right. So yeah, I, I I definitely sat in that tension. Um, we had moved because I think there was a lot of brokenness in our marriage. And we had this idea, like if we move, we can start over, Yeah, but moving, uh, comes with having to make new friends. And so it was very lonely. So you asked the question, did we invite a lot of people in? And, and I would say, no, um, one, a lot of that was, you know, for me, shame-based. And I was like, I, if I want to fight for this, I don't want anyone else to have to overcome forgiveness, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Were you struggling with any like shame, like, feeling like, okay, like we got married, we saved ourselves, you know, for marriage. Mm -hmm. And then we struggled sexually. And like, I feel like it's my quote unquote fault, you know, like there was something quote unquote wrong with Mm -hmm. me. And Mm -hmm. now here, my husband has cheated and, and now he's asking for a divorce. Like, did you feel at all? Like you were kind of like taking that on yourself? Like, oh, this is my fault. Like I'm ashamed, like things like that. For sure. I mean, I, I definitely thought it, I believed it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told, um, by a couple of people I deeply loved and respected. It was my fault. Oh. And so you, you find yourself in this place, just having to sort through, um, what is just the physical brokenness of our bodies and our world. Um, and also sort through our responsibility, um, to pursue healing and wholeness. And so it it was just, it was, it was hard. There was definitely shame. I took on a lot of responsibility, a lot of guilt, Hmm. um, tons of insecurity, which made me, I mean, I was not a healthy person 
physically, spiritually, emotionally through all that either, you know? So it was just a really hard thing to navigate. And it's hard because where do you go for help? You know, I can't tell you how many books I read and therapists I talked to and doctors I talked to. And it is a hard thing, especially as a Christian to find help for. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like that's not like, oh, we have a Bible study focused on that on Sundays. Like just come on down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, that and it's very personal and it's mm-hmm. hard, you know that that's so complicated. So you guys reconciled after the first time that he asked, but then he asked again in year mm-hmm. three. So year yeah. like one and a half, then in year three, when he asked again in year three, were you kind of like, ha, like here we go again? Like what what did your mind do? Yeah, I the first time my heart was like, man, God hates divorce. This yeah. is not His design. And I believe he can redeem and restore this. And so that year that we were back together and and just really trying to, you know, I mean, you're learning. I felt like I was learning for the first time what like real forgiveness was and real sure. repentance and real healing. And I had never gone through, neither of us had ever gone through something that hard before. And, um, but I think at year three, my heart shifted towards this, like, I had this deep burden and, and sadness for what he was walking through, knowing he was carrying so much shame and anger. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I was like, you know what, I felt called to like stand in the gap in this season of like, now I just felt like I needed to like deeply pray and Mm -hmm. advocate for him just spiritually. Mm-hmm. And so we were apart um, for about nine weeks. I had gotten my own apartment and really started my life over, not knowing when I was going to be served divorce papers. And um, after nine weeks, we, we tr- tried a- again. Mm-hmm. And um, again, no game plan, no, like, no, no strategy for how to do this a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of stumbled through (laughs) for quite a few more years. So I was hopeful. I was hopeful, you know, both times. I think it's, yeah, it's hard not to go, go through that and give something another try if you're just really not hopeful. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did, I, I still do believe that God can, has, and will redeem the most broken of stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there were conversations with the Lord for sure. Like, you know, I think I grew up, you mentioned this earlier about, you know, you saved yourself for marriage and Mm -hmm. you, you know, did these things. And I was very aware I had grown up in a very formula driven relationship with God. If I do this, then he will do this. Yeah. And all that shattered. Totally. And so I had to kind of start. a a new way of understanding relationship with God and um, what, what prayer really is, what surrender really is. Cause so much of how I had lived was performative or conditional. Yeah. And that's not how it works. Yeah, absolutely. So then in year 15, Mm -hmm. when things ended for good, what was different that time for you, you know, like what made you feel, and I know you talked about that you felt released, but did people, how did people around you react, you know, and, and what was the difference for you in that? Yeah. Um, I, I think this is a sad, really sad part of the story. Um, I'll rewind about two years. I think two years before it ended, I made a decision that one, I was very lonely in community. I didn't have a lot of friends up until about two years before that marriage was over. Mm -hmm. And 
I made a conscious decision that I needed to pursue healthy friendships. Mm -hmm. And that meant I needed to go first, invite first, pursue, because I had really built a wall around myself. It was Mm -hmm. a wall I had built out of shame, Mm -hmm. a wall I had built out of, um, you know, not wanting people to know how hard it was all the time. And I had built a wall up because I felt like a broken record. I felt Mm -hmm. like nothing I was just this broken person all the time. And I didn't want people to see that. Yeah. And um, so I knew friendships and community needed to shift in my life. And then I knew that if regardless of whether I was married another, you know, 50 years or one year, Mm -hmm. I needed to be healthy. Like I needed to get healthy emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. And so I began a work again, that started with community. It started with just emotional and spiritual health work that I needed to do on myself to grow in confidence in who, you know, God says that I am. And, um, and so I think that that was the work that prepared me for that moment at year Mm -hmm. 15, right. When, um, I wasn't driven by fear anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. so much of the earlier years, I was so driven by fear of what people will think, what will God think? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a healthy, like, I want to be cautious even saying that, like, I want to be pleasing before the Lord, right? you know? So this isn't like, who cares what anyone thinks, even God. Um, But I was so motivated by fear of the wrong things. Yeah. Instead of like godly fear of, you know, the right things, I guess. And so I was free of that. I was free of fear. I was, um, and I just, I really did have a peace in the end. And I had a handful of friends, like really sweet community that I had let in for two mm-hmm. years. And, um, there were a couple of people that said, we're going to, we're going to fight for you, you know, that analogy I said of like kind of laying down my weapons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think, I do think there are seasons where God's like, pick them up and we're, we're in this battle together spiritually. Totally. And then I do think there are moments where he's like, he kind of picks us up. He's like, lay them down. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to fight this for you. And I had people who said, who kind of stayed in that fight with my spouse, Mm. um, still trying for us, which was so kind and gracious. Um, and then I had other friends in a new church community that really rallied around me and said, um, you know, we're with you as, as you have peace, um, that you are released. Mm, that's so important. And, you know, thank God for that. How did you reconcile the fact that, cause you know, growing up, in a Christian home and, and all of that, you know, same for me. And it's like, you hear, you know, kind of all the time, like, well, God hates divorce. You know, God hates divorce. God doesn't want marriages to get split up. You know what I mean? And so here you are in a 15 year marriage where this man has asked for a divorce three times and you have prayed and worked and sought to and asked God, like, please, like, I know you want this to be restored. Do that. Like, restore this. Fix this. Do whatever you need to do. And you're praying for that and you want that. And in the end, that's not what he did. So how do you reconcile that? Like, God, like, I feel like you don't want marriages to split up. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want the marriage to split up. And I was praying that you would help fix it. And that's not what happened. Like, how do you get your mind around that? Yeah, there's a lot to reconcile that because you're also fully aware of your own sin and your own contribution to a broken marriage. So you carry that around and you're like, well, you know, I was, there was things that I brought to this situation. Also, I wasn't perfect. Mm -hmm. And so you carry that and then you do, you have this, you know, very deep awareness of what God's design and original intent is. Yeah. And yet, um, I, in, in all those years of praying that God would redeem and restore my marriage, I came to this understanding that the God of redemption and restoration restored me. Mm. He still redeemed and restored. It just wasn't how I thought it would be. It wasn't his original, you know, 
that's not what his original design for marriage is, Mm -hmm. but he still powerfully redeems and restores us, even in the midst of other things. I mean, I can think of countless stories that we know of where families are broken or there's our physical bodies die and return to dust and um, things that just feel unredeemable are redeemed in some way, this side of heaven, not fully, right? Not fully, but we get to see glimpses of that. And so it was a lot of work to reconcile that because I had to separate what I know to be true of God, that he is a God who redeems and restores. And I had to separate what my expectations of what that looks like would be. Totally. And I think that's where our deepest disappointment comes is, um, and what we project onto God is our own expectations. And when we land disappointed, when they don't line up like we want, or like we even know he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I think that's so beautiful how you say, yes, he is a God of restoration, but he restored me, you know, Mm -hmm. in that process. And I think that that's, that's beautiful. What hangups did you have? What fears did you have about like, okay, like now I'm a divorced woman. Like, am I going to be allowed to lead? Because, you know, There's a lot of churches where it's like, oh, well, like if you've been divorced, you can't do this or you can't lead that or whatever. So what fears did you have surrounding that? Yeah, I mean, it's very real. I went to a church that that was the case. Um, I've been told things, you know, Mm -hmm. I've had things said over me about, um, you know, this being, I'm trying to think of one thing that somebody said that, I'll never experience the fullness that I would have had I stayed married, married, like the fullness of, of, of God. And so you just hear these things spoken over you. And, um, I, yeah, there, there was fear in there. There was stuff I had to work through. Um, I had to be okay when doors weren't open for me in certain places. It didn't mean that there weren't doors in other places. Right. Right. And so I think we find, we can find ourselves trying to, to tear down or break down a door, you know, when you're like, Hey, I had the sweet friend say to me, like, have you used all your energy trying to tear down a door? That's just not going to open, you know? And, And, um, and so God has been so kind to, pave a new path, um, for me through ministry and opportunities and, um, that I've gotten to see his hand on, even though there are other doors that are closed. Yeah. And, um, I've really, I've, I've been okay with it. I know some people, you know, aren't okay with that. And and I get, I get not being okay with that because, and I would say this, I have learned and understood more of the gospel having walked through this than Mm. I did pre-divorce. Yeah. Um, I think pre-divorce, I had a very one-sided view of who Jesus and the gospel was in my life. Again, probably a lot more performative and conditional. Yeah. And having walked through a situation like I did and, and that, divorce, you know, I think my biggest fear was that my divorce would separate me from God in some way Yeah, and to watch it not and to understand yes. biblically and scripturally that that nothing can separate us. Like, yes. do we really believe that that passage is true? Totally. Because I think, I think that can be where the shame comes in is where deep down you believe, but this can, this actually can totally. Yes. And you're like, no, that's not what the Bible says. It, it, it does not, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, um, to really fight, to believe that is a work worth doing. Yes, absolutely. I think that's really, really beautiful. I know that you've said before that you were scared that, you know, if you ever spoke publicly about your divorce, that people would see it as like permission, like, oh, she got divorced. So I can too. You know what I mean? What, talk me through that, like where you're at with that. Um, it's, I mean, I'll be honest. Anytime I tell this part of my story, I, 
I've learned to say that I carry with it a big responsibility. Mm -hmm. I've tried not to use the word fear because I don't want the enemy to have grounds, you know, a ground or a foothold in that, in that story. I think the enemy can use anyone's story to do a number of things. Oh yeah. Um, But it, it does come with a responsibility. And, um, I, I would say to people, and I, I always want to say when telling my story, like the only permission given for divorce is from the Holy spirit. It's not mm. from my story. It's not from anyone else's story. And I would always say if, if people are looking for a reason, um, to get divorced, that you're not in a healthy place, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah that's totally. not a healthy place to be. If you're looking for a reason, I always say there's no formula. There's no timetable. Yes. Um, you've, you, you go through really hard marriage, um, with, you know, I try to say no regrets. I know none of us are perfect. We don't do anything perfectly. Um, the Holy spirit is the only one that can give guidance and direction, Mm -hmm. um, on decisions involving marriage. Yeah. And some people's stories is, you know, 30 years, 40 years. My parents were almost married for 40 years and walked through divorce. Yeah. Um, and so everyone's story is different. The hope and God's design is for marriages to last until death. Right. And that is his design and it is worth fighting for his design. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Holy Spirit is the only, only one that can give direction on that. I think that was so beautifully said. Yes. I, I love that. Did you ever like look back with regret? Like, so after you were divorced and you knew like, okay, like I fought for this, like, but it's over. Like, and I feel released from it. Did you ever look back with regret and be like, gosh, why didn't I just agree to the the divorce the first time he asked or even the second time? And then I wouldn't have quote unquote, like wasted those years, you know, in that marriage. Yeah. This is where I really, I really cling to the passage that God uses all things for good. It's, Mm. it's interesting because Exodus was really where I camped out a lot during that yeah. season. And there's a, um, a passage where it says that God led the Israelites. Um, there was a shorter way to mm-hmm. the promised land and he led the Israelites the long way around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think that's what God did. Like there probably was a shorter way out of this, mm-hmm. but we know from scripture that God's intent in that was for protection and to strengthen them. Yeah. And as much as I can have fleeting moments where I go back and say, gosh, what would my life have been? Mm -hmm. Um, I really look back on 15 years and I, I see two people who really tried and wanted to, you know, do restore God's design for marriage. I, I'm, I'm grateful. I think, you know, you could play this out and the other way that could go is you get divorced in, in two years and five years out, you're like, did I not try hard enough? Yes. Did I give up too soon? I mean, I think totally. any way we flip it, we can always, which is why I always go back to, I, you have to trust the Holy Spirit. Yes. I have to look back and say, Jen, you might not have liked 15 years, but you did, you did listen to the Holy Spirit. Yes. And if he held you there for 15 years. You have to trust that and that God will work all things for good. Yes. I think that that's like, oh, that is like is so important that there's just so many times where people find themselves in just this like in-between waiting period, you know? And sometimes like in Christian circles or just like wherever, like people like to make you feel good. It's kind of like you're waiting, but like the amazing thing is just around the corner. Like the amazing, amazing thing is just around the corner. Well, in your season of being in this marriage that you knew was not like wonderful, you know, if someone had told you, Hey, by the way, like crystal ball moment, like you're going to get divorced, like at the 15th year, you'd be like, what the, like, that's not, you know what I mean? Like, are you kidding me? Then why am I here now? Like if like, isn't the good supposed to be coming, but it's like the waiting, 
is purposeful. You know what I mean? Like, and you are like refined in that waiting. And I think that's so beautiful about what you said. Like I was listening to the Holy Spirit and I did not feel released prior to that. So like for whatever reason, like God was calling me to stay in that marriage for that time. And you are who you are today because of that. Yeah. My friend Kat gave me this when I was on the other side of divorce. The other thing I had to reconcile was, was how I could feel so um, free on the other side of something that God didn't intend. Like, right, and I right, don't right. mean like free to do whatever I want. Sure, I mean sure. like uh, free in um, the truth of the gospel, like that this free feeling, like I know who I am before God and um, anxiety and, and depression and a lot of other things had fallen away. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. This feel, I felt guilt, I think also for feeling that way. And she said, Jen, it's like, you've been wearing this weighted vest, you know, for 15 years and, and you've been training and running yeah. and, and fighting and working with this weighted vest. And she was like, and God's now taking it off. And you're like sprinting. And I was like, that's really, that's really what it felt like is yeah. that there is, and you said it, there is purpose in the pain and the season and the waiting. And we are not guaranteed a red bow. Yes. We're not guaranteed release. We are not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, you know, he, when I say healing, I just mean, I mean, some, there are some, I have a dear friend, she lives with chronic illness every day of her life. And, yeah. and most likely she will live with that until, yeah. you know, she goes to be with Jesus. And I do think that we put our hope in a circumstance changing. Yes. And instead of the hope of Jesus being unchangeable. Yes. And that is where we have to shift I think our, our mindset. Totally. And it's like, I know I'm guilty of that. You know, if I'm in a situation that I'm like, oh, this feels, you know, like unbearable. It's like the good's coming, the good's coming. You know what I mean? Or it's like, if you have a friend who's like struggling with infertility, how quick are we to say like, you're going to get pregnant? Yeah. Yeah, You're gonna, I know it. You totally are. And it's like, A, you don't know that. Right. But B, it's also like, listen, like, for whatever reason, like this is what's happening for them right now. And like, don't miss it. You know what I mean? Like there is like refining and growing that happens in those very dark, long waiting periods. And there's no guarantee that the circumstance is going to change. There's not, there's just not. My old pastor used to say, it's not the suffering that's hard. It's the how long Will I suffer? That's hard. It's the unknowing of the long suffering, how long it is. Yes. And I think that is what's hard is we don't know how long we will um, be in certain stories, um, you know, parts of our story. Yeah. And so that is the hard part. Absolutely. I mean, I know that that's something like my brother passed away suddenly when he was 28 and he had struggled his whole life, like very much with mental illness, um, just like some like social anxieties, depression, OCD, just like a lot of things. And I know that my parents spent his entire life like praying that he, you know, would find relief from those things Mm -hmm. and that the Lord would heal him. And like, and it's almost like there was always this just like, okay, like, like something will come and like change it and like, it'll get better. And then like, he passed away very suddenly from like a freak medical thing. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, they were in that 28 year season Mm -hmm. of waiting. Yeah. And then he died. And so that's not like, that's not a pleasant story. You know what I mean? Like it's really not, you know? And so things that like my parents and me and my sisters still wrestle with today is like, why I don't, I'll never understand like why that played out like that. Like that is, that's awful the way that that story played out. But like God allowed it for whatever reason. And like, there was like, we're different people today because of, you know, my brother and his life and his death and people were touched and changed. And there's things that happen because of that, that we won't even know about. You know what I mean? It's like that one day, you know, like we'll talk to 
the Lord about it one day, you know? And we're but, reminded all through scripture, like so much of God is a mystery. Yes. But yet we want to make sense of it. But yeah, scripture says we won't. We will yeah. not make sense of the mystery of God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that then afterwards, like after you went through the divorce and it was done, you ended up going to Colorado mm-hmm. to kind of heal. And I know that Colorado has like a, such a, such a special place in your story. So my husband is a Colorado native. Oh yeah. He so, understands. Yes. He gets it. And I get it. I lived out there for four years. I get it. We go out and visit family like twice a year and it's just like a delight. I always say like, how lucky are we that to visit family is to go to like a popular vacation destination. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they could live somewhere boring, but they right. live like in this amazing place. So anyway, tell us about going to Colorado and your experience there. Yeah. One of my uh, friends invited me to come out. She and her husband, uh, they manage a guest ranch in Colorado. And she's like, come, you know, come get away for a bit. Um, and it was soon after really right in the middle of all of that, of the divorce and everything. And, you know, I think one of my, one of my fears going through that season was that people would be distracted by the pain and suffering and divorce and not see Jesus, Mm -hmm. that that's what they'd see of my story and not see Jesus. And, um, that ranch in particular had about 20 years earlier had experienced a massive forest fire that swept through 150,000 acres 130,000 acres of national forest. And they sit in 500 acres kind of inside of that. Mm. And somehow that forest fire split and went around the ranch (sighs) and the ranch was preserved. It's bizarre and crazy. And so it's just a really powerful story, but my friend, uh, her husband kind of drove me up when I got there. So I could kind of go through, drive through the fire and the burn and, you know, he was just telling me stories of what they experienced. And of course it's not lost on me to see like little sprouts of new, new plant growth coming up and, yeah. you know, beauty among ashes, like that was not lost on me. And it was very profound. But I think the biggest thing that was profound is I asked him, I said, you know, there are families that have come out here for decades and, you know, 30 years ago, they were, you know, riding horses through the forest and, are they not just so disappointed when they come out? Cause everything yeah, is just dead totally, and, um, and burned, not just dead, just burned right. the ground. Yeah. And he said, you know, there are some families that have come out and they're disappointed, but he said, most people remember that when they rode, there were walls of trees to the left and to the right. And now they can see for miles, they can see the landscape. They can see the beauty. They can see the mountains. They can mm. see Pike's peak. They can just yeah. see for miles upon miles upon miles. And it's that same idea that yes, there will be some people that will judge or not see, but most people will see um, the gospel story of redemption and restoration in my life. Um, They will see Jesus. Um, So I can't, I can't be worried and concerned about the few that may not um, because there will be more that will see Jesus. And that was really that kind of I feel like was that little piece left that I needed to just really release and surrender to the Lord. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I know also like right around that time you were leading a retreat and you had Mm -hmm. to like stand up in front of this room full of people and be like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I'm going through a divorce like right now as we speak, like what was that experience like? Yeah. So part of that two year prior to going through divorce process for me was really having a deep understanding of God's assignment for my life, like how he had wired me and what he was asking me to do and to step out confidently in that. And so part of that was starting the well summit. And so this retreat that you're talking about happened five weeks after my husband had asked for a divorce. Now, when you plan retreats like this, you plan a year in advance. Yes. So yes. I had no idea obviously, you know, yeah. where this would land in my life. But there I was standing in front of these 30 women in Colorado because I wanted it to be there. Right. And I I remember, you know, having what I said to them is like, I've had to fight to believe that God is who he says he is. His word is what it says it is. 
and I am who he says I am. The harder of those three is the latter, mm. that I am who he says I am. And I did for just maybe a minute share with these women where I was at that moment in my life. And I think it was such a picture of, of for me, I had no idea what that story would then do in that yeah. space. But I think what it created was a space where women no longer felt alone. They were all walking in mm-hmm. with their own hard stories and lies they were believing about themselves and fear that was holding them in bondage and shame. And for me to just say out loud, hey, this is where I'm at. I'm not fully healed, yeah, but I'm here because God told me to be here. I'm trying to step out in obedience, even when it's hard and scary. Yeah. And I actually don't fully believe all the things I'm about to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I still believe it's true. Mm -hmm. And um, so it really, I think did a, I think God used it for a couple of reasons. I think he did it for me to say like, um, are you going to trust me? Even though you don't feel um, all these things, are you, I think it, it shaped the culture of that community from then on out. It's been really beautiful. Like we're just such a community of, of vulnerability and story. And yeah. then I think it was, was a way to, to tell the enemy, he doesn't have a foothold here. Like yeah. he's, he's not going to, um, shame is not going to grow in this space. Totally. And, um, when we speak out our stories and our, um, our confessions, when we speak out our shame, um, we have, we know physiologically it does something to our brains, but also in the spiritual realm, um, things are broken when we Mm -hmm. speak out our stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I just, I mean, I applaud you for that, for your vulnerability. It's touched so many people, even just you doing this today, you know, but the fact that you were able to do that so early on when you were so in the midst of it, you know, I think that that changes things for people. So after going through all of that, when did you reach a point where you kind of felt like, I guess maybe I would be open to meeting somebody else and maybe getting married again. Or did you kind of feel like, no, like I will never get married again. Like this is, I'm never doing that. So I am so grateful to the Lord that I didn't come out of divorce, like hating the institution of marriage or hating men. And um, I'm so grateful for that. I know that's a lot of women's stories. That was not my story. And that again, I think goes back to the work we have to do of separating circumstances from the character of God. Mm. And I still believed God um, had designed this institution. And um, I still believe that there is the possibility of good, healthy marriages and good, healthy men and good, healthy relationships. And so Yeah. But to answer your question, no, I never thought (laughs) I was like, it wasn't, didn't cross my mind. Like, Oh, I'll get married again. Mm -hmm. And I had two friends say something to me. One, um, said, have you thought about what you would look for in a future self? I was like, no, like it (laughs) felt like the question you ask in like junior high or high school. Right. Totally. You have a checklist for your future husband or your boyfriend. And I did not, but of course I was using, um, these prayer journals. My favorite mm-hmm. prayer journal journals are from Valmarie and there is a section in there where you're supposed to pray for your love, the loves of your life. So whether that's okay. your kids, your future spouse or your spouse. And it says that in really fine print, Okay, those three things. I was like, Oh, it says future <sighs> spouse. Yeah. 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 And so I, I did fill it in, but I was like, at the end, it was like, right. God, I trust your timing, whether that's five or 10 years or never. That literally right. was in the prayer. And then I had another friend that said, um, are you going to date or remarry? I was like, no, like the last time I dated, we didn't even have cell phones. Yeah. Now people are using apps and swiping. And I just like, we didn't have texting, nothing. Yes. So I was like, that just seems, I don't even know how you do that. No. And I had heard horror stories. You know, we hear horror oh, stories. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so they said, well, you need to tell your high caliber married friends to set you up with their high caliber single friends. Yes. And 
so it was just really lighthearted comments, but yeah, no, I, I never thought about it, but not because I was anti right marriage or men. So yeah. it was just, just like kind of, you know, I didn't really think about it. Right. Right. So you said earlier in at the very beginning of this podcast, you said my husband's name is Rhett. So take us on that journey. So I ended up running into some friends. I was at a conference in Austin and these are friends I'd been friends with for like four years and they were checking on, you know, checking on my heart, checking on how I was doing, how I was healing. And I said, jokingly, yeah, um, you know, my friend Jenny said, I'm supposed to tell my high caliber married friends, set me up with her high caliber single friends. And I was really, really joking. Yeah. And they were like, well, we know a guy. I was like, okay. They're like, I mean, they were fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're yeah. like the other guy that was with them. There, there were three guys, and one of the guys was like from. He's from Nashville. He's like, sorry, we don't have anyone in Nashville. <laughs> and the other two guys were like, we know a guy. He's a seventh grade science teacher in Springdale, Arkansas. And I was like, huh, uh, okay. Um, and I was living in Dallas at the time. Right. So you're like, how's that going to so work? I was like, yeah, how's that going to work? And they were like, well, aren't you going to be in town in a couple of weeks? And I was like, actually I am. So I said, well, maybe we could just meet up for lunch or something. I'm like, okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, I really was like, oh, this is why I was kind of going with it is I had committed to live a year of yes. Oh, I love it. I was it. like, I'm going to say yes to anything and everything, unless it like compromises, you know, my morals or values. Sure, so like, sure, sure, sure. For a year. I'm going to say yes to everything. And so that was one of those moments where I was like, well, I mean, I, I didn't know if it yes. happened, but I'll say yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, two weeks later, I was in Northwest Arkansas and we met up, Rhett and I met on a blind date in a coffee shop set up by our mutual friends who stayed the entire time. They did not leave our blind date. <laughs> we say to this day, it was the best way to do blind dates because you're act like you're able to be yourself because your friends your are friends. There. Your totally. Friends are there. And yes. so like, we always tell people like, just keep your friends around for the first blind date. And it's I love easier. that. Um, and so that's how it started. It was a blind date, an hour. I think we had like an hour, an hour and a half um, on a random Thursday afternoon in Northwest Arkansas. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love yeah. it. So like after that date, were you like, oh my gosh, I really like this guy? Or were you like, well, nice thought, but not going to work out because I'm not moving here and blah, blah, Yeah, we joke about it because I, my girlfriends were with me at the time. So of course, you know, they're acting like giddy teenagers. And I, I mean, I thought he was sweet and kind and it was the first, like I hadn't gone on right. dates or anything. And so yeah. it was just this weird feeling after so long to be on a date with somebody, yes. even though there were three, four of us. Yeah. There, <laughs> yeah. um, and he, he, he would say, this is what's funny. He would say he thought nothing of it because he was doing our mutual friends a favor. They, they love me a lot and they care about me. And they were like, Rhett is a really nice person. He can be her first you know, date back into the dating Just world. to show her Just that there's men her, out there. Yes, that are yes. nice and kind. So he was doing them a favor. I and like me this. a favor. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, he says too, he's like, I mean, the last thing I would have thought is like, a, I was 39, divorced right. woman from Dallas. So right, he's right. like, that's not also what he was looking for. He had never been married. He was thirty seven, I was okay. 39 or three years apart. I think he okay. was 36. And so he'd never been married, but we, neither of us really thought anything of it. And he was finishing up his master's. And so I was doing this, like kind of testing the waters with texting yeah. and he was slow playing it. We joked, oh. but he wasn't slow playing. He was like, I was just real busy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so after a while we, I came back in town and the rest is history. Oh, so. Yeah. So I know early on in your relationship, you had kind of like felt like, okay, like I should tell him my whole, my whole story, like prepare him. Like, this is what yeah. I got going on. And he was kind of like, it's good. Like it'll yeah. come. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about that. He, the, so that's coming back in time in town the second time, which is about yeah. six to eight weeks later. 
um, I was in town for about five or six days and we went out a lot. Like we just kept, yes. He's like, Hey, do you want to go to this three-year-old's birthday party with me? Do you want to go to this banquet that I'm supposed to go to? Oh and my so, gosh. um, what was sweet about that is he had this very full life, mm-hmm. um, that he was living and um, with amazing community and church and he was serving and he just had this really full life that instead of canceling things that weekend to yeah. hang out with me, he just invited me into it, which That's I thought cool. was really amazing. And yeah. I really appreciated. But throughout the whole time, I was like, he's really not asking me questions about my past. Right. And as the days went by, I was like, I feel like he needs to know because not that I was ashamed or afraid, but I was like, I just want to nip this in the bud. If this yeah. is if my story is too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did, I asked him one day, I was like, Hey, I want you to know, you feel free to ask me anything that you want to ask me about my story. And he's like, Hey, look, you came highly recommended by Alan and Richard. And I feel like, and a lot of people, we figured out we had a lot of mutual friends and he's like, so I I don't feel a rush. He's like, it'll come, you know, with time I was like, okay. And sure enough, um, the next week (laughs) after I left, he Googled and up popped old podcasts such as, you know, the one you listen to. I think there were a few others. Yeah. And he was real confused and he had pieced together some things in his mind about like the timeline of my story. He knew I was divorced and right. Um, but what he was hearing was like, what I pieced together in my head isn't, isn't what reality is. And so he freaked out. He really panicked and he had, apparently written me, I joke that he wrote, wrote me a dear John letter. Oh. Um, it wasn't that dramatic, but yeah, 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 he yeah. was, he was freaking out because of the timing of everything. And, um, and so he was growing to like me and knew it was time to hear the whole story. So we eventually got, I came back in town. Okay. Um, I think a couple of weeks later and we had the the full conversation, our testimony, so to speak. Yeah. And obviously here Obvious, you are today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember he, I, I said, look, I know that this may be too much and I know, and I was okay with that. I think that's the work, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I came to a place where I was like, I know that my story may be too much for someone, um, and if that's the case, they're, they're not, they're not the right person for me. And I really was resolved with that and, and comfortable with that. But I think what's beautiful is that God, a couple of things, like both his mom and sister has, have walked through divorce mm. and, and his perspective, he loves them so much. And he's yeah. like, he goes, my mom and sister deserve, you know, a healthy, beautiful redeeming marriage. Like he believes that for his mom and sister. And so he's like, why wouldn't I believe that for you? Right. And then his own story, one of those prayers that I had written before I even met him was I wanted a man who had like really wrestled with their faith and wrestled with the Lord and came out of the other side of that with a deeper understanding of grace and the gospel. And that was his story. Yeah. And because of that, he was like, of course, like, yeah, I would not think twice about, you know, loving you and, you know, and he has been the most beautiful, amazing part of my story of healing, because he has been such an incredible picture and reflection of Jesus in my life. It, Mm. it blows me away all the time. Oh, that's so beautiful. Did you have any insecurities when you guys got engaged and then you were planning like a wedding? Like, did you feel at all like, oh, people are going to have something to say about this or whatever? Yeah. The thing I I was so grateful for, we both were, was that our community, all of our friends, our families, everyone was 100% on board with our relationship, which we, you know... I think we need to be careful when there are people in our life, our closest friends who, who have concern, you yeah, know, and totally. we can't have this attitude where I don't care what anybody thinks. Like we, our community knows us really well, hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Um, an inside community. I think that's also where God speaks to us. And so I was really grateful that our community of friends and family were so supportive, yeah. but the moment I remember the moment I felt shame was shopping for a wedding dress mm. and 
Um, the reason is because part of part of things people had said over me was, you know, God hates divorce. His design is not for remarriage. You know, you can't wear white <sighs> again if you've been married before. And uh, so these are things that had yeah. been part of my past and my story and spoken over me. And so there was there there was the shame of buying a wedding dress for the second time and buying a white wedding dress. Hmm. And I, you know, I was going to have a new name and I was buying this new dress. And so I remember, you know, flipping to the back of my Bible and looking up every word, every place that the Bible, it said the word new. And I read every single passage Hmm. and I ended up in Isaiah 62, where it talks about being given a new name. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the most beautiful passages about what God does when he gives us a new name. Mm -hmm. And I just sat in that for two weeks and I read it over and over again. And I also remembered this passage in Revelation where it talks about we, he is the one that clothes us in righteousness and white linens. He is the one that makes us white. So it's this deep understanding that our purity is not in our work, Mm-hmm. and our performance and how we earn or gain purity. Our purity is because he makes us right and, yeah. and righteous. Yeah. And so it really transformed my understanding again of the gospel yeah. and Christ returning for the broken, messy church and making her white and clean. Yeah. And so I was really grateful that that dress for me was such a picture of God making me new Christ, making me new clothing yes. white. And it was just a, I, I was grateful for that. Um, redefining redemption part of, of even buying a wedding dress. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love, that's a beautiful picture. It really, yeah. really is. Yeah. So how many years have you guys been married now? We have been married three and a half years. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's been so really amazing. Sweet. I'm so happy yeah. for you. Yeah. It's been awesome. And we, you know, I remember I remember we were traveling somewhere and I looked at him and I said, you know, I wish I said, I'm sad. I don't have more years with you. Oh. You know, going back to that question you asked about regret. Yeah. And, um, I can say this, that it doesn't feel that way. It, yeah. God has truly restored the years the locusts have eaten. Mm. Um, I do not feel weighed down or remnants of the pain and loss from my past. Like, to see how God has truly healed my heart and my mind has been nothing short of supernatural and miraculous. And also I look, I think the thing, and I want to say this to anyone single listening to this, the thing that we forget, there's another person God is working on Mm. while we wait. Yes. And Rhett had walked away from the Lord for a decade. Wow. And because of that, like we always say, like, had I walked through divorce at three years or any any time sooner, we would not be together. Absolutely. And God is writing a story in someone else's life while he is writing yours. And that has given me so much peace knowing that who he is, and you said this, who we are through our stories and our pain and our suffering, who Rhett is through his pain and suffering and decade of therapy yeah, um, is who loves me like Jesus. Yes. Like, that is what shaped him um, to be the husband that he is to me today. That's so beautiful. That was so beautifully said. I, I have nothing to add to that. I love that. That was so beautiful. Tell us before I let you go, what you do. Tell us about Camp Well. I know you just launched Scout. Like, tell Mm -hmm. us the things. Yeah. So the Well Summit really is just this community um, of women. We've wanted to create experiences and gatherings. I love being in person with people. Mm -hmm. Um, There is especially so much virtual online offerings, which are amazing. But I just, I have watched God do incredible work when women sit across from each other and share their stories. And so we say that we create experiences and gatherings for women who sit in the tension of feeling too much and not enough. And we unpack 
um, what is holding us back, whether it's lies, fear, sin, shame, distractions, all the things we've talked about, what is holding us back, repack what's true about who God says he is and who he says we are. And then we spur one another on inside community to pursue simple, faithful obedience. And we do that through these gatherings, which one is Camp Well. We've we've hosted 10 Camp Wells now. We do them twice wow. a year in Colorado. Amazing. They're small, intimate gatherings. Mm-hmm. And um, we just launched, so Camp Wells for any ages, but Scout mm-hmm. was birthed because I sat in this room about a year ago, a um, year and a half ago of 40 women, ages 25 to 65, most of them experiencing freedom for the very first time. And I thought, what if I had this when I was 20? And yeah. I do, I look back on my story and so much that I didn't know, or a lot of fear and shame I was carrying that was influencing decisions I was making in my life. And I thought, what if I had this when I was 20? And so a couple of weeks ago, we hosted our very first scout experience and it was real sweet to watch you know, I was afraid. I was like, what if this curriculum doesn't translate, you know, right. to these younger women? And it did. I mean, Aww. it's, it's God's, it's God's word. It's the gospel. It's, um, how he sees us and uniquely wired us inside community. And so it's beautiful to see that happen. Um, and so, yeah, we're probably going to do another one of those in 2023 and we keep doing camp wells. It's amazing. So what if somebody's listening to this and they're like, I need in on that. Yeah, go to thewellsummit.com okay. and you can see all the things that we're doing. We're um, launching a new program called called Launch Well for mm-hmm. women who are like small business owners that feel that that's their assignment. Mm-hmm. We all have different assignments. Um, some of this is to be, you know, moms and wives and in ministries and church and some of it's um, something inside small business. So we're launching that soon too. Amazing. 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 So where can we find you? If people want to hop on board with everything you're doing, where can we find you? So on Instagram, I'm Jen underscore jet, two N's, two T's. Mm-hmm. And then um, the well summit is just the well summit on Instagram. And then awesome. both websites are the well and jenjet.com. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love it. The last thing we always ask everybody, what is your favorite snack right now? Okay. What are you reaching for? I'm so excited about this. My sister made it up one day, but it is everything but bagel seasoning. I have that. Sorry. Everything Everything but but bagel hummus. Sorry. Oh, hummus. Everything but bagel hummus plus pretzel thins. Yes. Plus one green olive. Now, some of you may hate. I like green olives. I love green olives. Okay. The combination, it's crazy. It's so amazing. Trust me. Do I have to get that hummus at Trader Joe's or do they have it anywhere? Probably so Trader Joe's. It's a boar's head product. Oh, I oh. find it at my local um, grocery store here. All right. So wherever boar's head is sold. There we go. I boar's love head that. did not sponsor this podcast, yeah. <laughs> but I will send you to go get their product. Love that. Everything with bagel hummus, pretzel thin, and a green olive. I'm obsessed. I'm going to try that for real. I love Let hummus. Let me know. I will Let me know how people for real. Feel thank that. you. See, this is why I love this segment because I always walk away with like, I'm adding that to my grocery order every yes, time. So I good. love it. Jen, I cannot thank you enough for real. You are so busy. I love that you took this time to talk to me. I, it's going to help so many people. Your story is inspiring. You are inspiring. I just can't thank you enough. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.